0: man, Corey, go to row. How in the hell are you doing, buddy? I'm good. It's a beautiful day here in Pine Valley, California.
1: I'm looking out at the property. There's some horses that aren't mine, which is, that's the best kind. It's like, like a boat, right? You you want to go on the boat, but you don't want to own the boat. So I get to look at them. I don't have to pay for them. Nice. Do you get to ride them? Uh, I haven't asked because I don't know. There might be a weight limit. I don't know. I don't know how that works. <laughs>
0: You got to check the rear, man. It's on the sticker on the back. (laughs) The door tag. Yeah, yeah, just pull the tail up and check it, man. It's right there. (laughs) No, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Oh, (laughs) shit, man. So you start your morning off with some fucking brown nectar, man?
1: You know what I start my morning off with. man. Come on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a special freaking red, white, and badass brew roast just for FU California. Oh, man. Um,
1: and be, people
0: think that you know
1: people are going to think yeah he's just doing that because wants to sell. Now I actually do drink it. Um, I, I'm not really a coffee connoisseur. I don't really care what coffee I drink, but I drink yours because we buy it from you. <laughs> so <laughs> I I I could you could put 20 cups of coffee in front of me. I couldn't tell you the difference because I put peppermint mocha cream in there.
0: Hey, the you key. know what I like peppermint mocha cream, man. As a matter of fact, I'm in. Around the uh, Christmas time, I'm going to make a peppermint mocha. But uh, your customers are the ones that like it because they They keep coming back for it. They keep coming
1: back. They like the whole. They like the both, the ground and the whole bean. And it seems it seems to be
0: doing pretty well. Fuck yeah, man! I love it when I get a plug, dude. That's awesome. Right, right at the rip, man. (laughs) Plugs are great. They are, (laughs) and. (laughs) <laughs> nice, hot, brown, beautiful nectar Just hits my tongue <laughs> Like a savory sip should uh, Wow, I just did my 1-800 voice on there um, So that's, that's your studio you got you got there? Where... This, this is it, man, this is it So check this out, man I I've, I've known you for a little bit now And we've talked But I didn't know that you really had some hardship You know, gone on in your life and you know not everybody goes through the same hardship and yours really didn't you had a pretty good childhood man so um you didn't really start your hardship kind of until you had sh- shoulder surgery no yeah you're right i mean i had
1: a very good childhood i didn't have to worry about anything i had my parents were great my, my dad worked hard I, my and my mom stayed home and raised my my brothers and i and we we saw what hard work was, but I, I guess we didn't really understand it because we. It, well, I still got smacked a lot. I, I don't want there to be any confusion there. Uh, there, there was discipline, but we, we never had to worry about you know food on the table or things like things like that. I, I never even crossed my mind until I, I got old enough to understand that people had those problems. Um, so it it was you know what's the that quote soft, soft times great soft made hard times great or whatever that quote is so at the time, uh you know before September eleventh, it was my my generation was raised pretty soft as we now know um, it's, created, it's created I would not say
0: soft would I wouldn't say soft though man. I mean, I think our generation, I mean, maybe a little softer than the previous generation, but, I mean, you're saying smack the I mean, I got the same thing, man. You know? Well, so I, we have
1: the greatest generation, right? Yeah. Depression, uh, World War II, everything. And then that led to our parents who were, they went through the, the Cold War, the Gulf War, maybe some of them Vietnam, And uh, that's when the media started changing and was going against the the war, and people were coming home. And my uncle was in the 101st Airborne, and um, when he he came home from Vietnam, came back and landed in San Francisco, and that didn't that didn't go well, as you can imagine.
0: And the quote you're talking about, man, was "hard times create strong men." Strong men create good times, good times, create weak men and weak men create hard times.
1: Yeah. I was paraphrasing.
0: (laughs) Oh man. So we were, we
1: were kind of in the middle there, right? Where it was, it was good times and, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the great depression. We weren't scrounging for gasoline and, and stuff like that. Um, so, I, you know, I, I got to the point where, uh, uh, yeah, I was, I was playing football. Like you said, playing football, hurt my shoulder. Ended up having to get shoulder surgery. Uh, I, it tore my my labrum, and they went and reconstructed it. It was open surgery, and that's when it was uh, I think the early 2000s. So kind of when the whole opiate thing started, uh, started or maybe maybe towards the middle of it, I'm not really sure. But that that took me down a, a dark path where, well, I don't feel any pain anymore. You know, yeah. not, not just physical but emotional as well. And growing up without having to deal with you know parents being divorced or or worrying about food on the table, etc. Um. Anytime something would happen, I did not have the resiliency to get past it. I didn't know what to do. So those, you know, those Norcos that you'd take for your shoulder, they they start helping negatively in other ways in your life.
0: So you use the opiates to really just start coping kind of with like, hey, why is this happening to me? This kind of sent you down a depression State having your soldier surgery, which, I mean, that's understandable, right? You're like, oh, man, was, you know, what's going on? You know, but you've you really kind of been taken care of your whole life. So resiliency wasn't mm-hmm. a thing for you. It was just, you are like, wow, now I'm broken. Now what? You know? That,
1: and it was confusing. So, and at that point, uh, you know, I'm in high school. So what questions do I have? I'm trying to just learn things on my own, right? What questions? I, I don't know what I didn't know what questions to ask at the time. What, what am I supposed to do? How do I get over this? Who do I talk to? Things like that. It was just I'm just gonna go through this and I'll, I'll figure it out. I guess I, I wasn't even thinking ahead at that time.
0: So the opiates took a hold of you, man, and kind of started now that addiction. You know, so now you're addicted to it. You know what 100%. did that addiction look like to you? What road did you go down? Uh, I went.
1: Very, very low. Um, I had a at the time. Well, just so you, just to to say now, I have a, a beautiful wife and two beautiful daughters. But at the time, back in high school, I had a, a high school sweetheart girlfriend, and and that was ruined from from that. Um, I lost some friends. We we've, we've made up since then, but it was it does just like you said. It takes a hold of you and. And makes you do things that that aren't you. My right. ethics and values kind of went out the out the window, and you can't see it. It, it. People all around can tell you you're being stupid, and and until you see it, there's nothing you can do about it.
0: How did the friendships and the relationship get ruined? Like, what did what? I know the opiates caused it, but what did you do?
1: Um. It. I, I turned into a different person I was mean I became very mean uh mean and very short fuse things like and that's not me and you know me now I'm I'm pretty easy going pretty laid back dude so
0: yeah I wouldn't want to see you mean man
1: <laughs> it it you know looking back it's it's sad to see that or sad to think that that was me at one point but we, you know, I, I moved past it, and I, I know how many, not just veterans, but how many people have to have had to deal with that or are dealing with it,
0: and it's, it's not easy. No, I mean, opiate addictions <laughs> is hell, man. You know, addiction period is 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 just hell. You go down this road, and it really consumes your life. I mean, because now you're not thinking about a job or a girlfriend or a friendship; you're just thinking about how the fuck am I going to get my next fix?
1: And at that time, it was the doctors. They, they, they were
0: just, uh, I mean, I had prescriptions. And they'd just refill the prescriptions just willy-nilly. Like, yep, need more, need more. Yeah,
1: I think at one point I was taking like 12 Norcos a day. Um, and I, I was not the size that I am now. I mean, I was probably 100, 185, 190 pounds. So... Oh. And yeah, I get them refilled no problem. I know things have changed drastically since then. Well, you know, we'll get into it later. But I've worked in healthcare, and it's you, you can't even go to the ER and get um, opiates unless your you know your legs cut off or something crazy at this point. So the the pendulum has swung so far in the other direction. It's it's interesting.
0: Well, it's still an epidemic.
1: Yeah. Oh no, yes. I mean fentanyl. <laughs>
0: yeah man that's we'll we'll definitely be getting into that. what uh so you went down now you're going through this dark road. How did you recover from the opiate addiction?
1: my family actually um, they I kind of quit cold turkey almost well I tried I tried to wean off the last of what I had and then and then I stopped and ran out, and got very, very sick. It was miserable, achy. You know your whole body hurts. It's like the, the flu times a thousand, and um, it my it, it was a difficult time for my very you know, what I put my family through was was very difficult as well because they were trying they were just trying to help me, but at the same time they didn't know what what I needed. I didn't know what I needed.
0: It's a it's a messy situation. So you didn't go to rehab? No. Wow. I mean, that's, I mean, you know what? That's awesome that they were actually there to help you and, you know, got you to health, you know, because that is not a, I don't think that's a very common thing. You know, probably wouldn't be here if they weren't there to help me. Probably not. I mean, 12, I don't know that much about norcos or opiates, you know, to be 100% honest, but... You know, I do know taking 12 is probably not recommended by a doctor. <laughs> I mean, maybe one or two, uh, yeah. maybe, yep. you know, but popping 12 a day, man, that's, that is insane, dude. So you got, you got healthy, man. You got, your parents were there and really they kind of, they kind of bonded around you, gathered around you and like, all right, man, we're here. You know, very supportive. It sounds like they're pretty supportive parents <laughs> and they were like, Hey, we're here for with you, man. Did that bring yeah. you guys closer?
1: No, not at the time, <laughs> because I was still. Uh, you don't lose the mentality immediately, right? It's it's. You're still mean. You're still. You're still angry. You're still. Conv- I think a lot of it stems from confusion. How did this happen? How did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? You know, a lot of blaming, right? A lot of why? Why me? A victim mentality. Why me? And. I'm sure we'll talk about it lately, but I don't put up with that shit anymore. Yeah, I there's mean, no that's... why. There's no why me. Why? Why me? What make it be me? I'd rather be me than somebody else. Am I supposed to pick somebody else for it to be? No, I'll go through it. Yeah. I'll get through it.
0: Yeah, you gotta stop. You gotta stop blaming everybody else, man. And yeah. Look at the inside. Look yourself in the mirror and be like, you're the one causing this. Nobody yeah. else, man. That's mm-hmm. I mean, that's powerful. I mean, what would you what would you give what would you give advice to somebody who is addicted to opiates or an addict, you know, to help them kind of get over one, that mentality, but two, uh, the addiction? I have a very good friend uh who is an, an
1: alcoholic, has been for a long time. And I I talked to him very frequently, once at least once a month, a couple times a month. And the hardest part about addiction is that I, I could I could call him every day and say, hey, come live in my house. We'll take care of you. We'll do whatever we need. But that's not going to solve his problems until he's ready to accept it and then reach out and say, okay, I'm ready to do this. There's not much I can do. And and that's the that's the hardest part about addiction is that we want to help all these people, right? But you can't help someone who doesn't want to help themselves. Yep. They gotta hit but, the rock bottom. And yep, sometimes gotta, sometimes that's unfortunately
0: death. That's a big part of it, man. That's that is a you know, one thing that is not guaranteed. I mean, that's guaranteed in life, but that's a quicker road to it you know, is mm-hmm. not getting help could lead to death. And that could be that rock bottom, you know, uh, and hope to God, you know, people will actually go out there and get help, you know, because we have resources for people to get help.
1: We do have a ton of resources. The VA has a lot of resources. The county has a lot, of, San Diego County, obviously. The county has a lot of resources. It's just uh, pride, pride, pride is a big factor especially with veterans you know I'm I'm too proud to go get help or veterans males Um, but yeah pride and they're just not ready to accept the fact that that uh, there's different steps in accepting it right there's accepting that okay yeah I shouldn't be doing this but there's way too much stuff going on in my life, and I have to suppress it with X, Y, Z, whatever, whatever that is, right? Yeah. And so there's the, you try and rationalize things to yourself, like, like yeah, I, I'm I'm not taking those for that reason anymore. I'm taking it for this reason now. So, or I'm drinking because it was a bad day, you know, yeah. whatever the case may
0: be. But yeah, absolutely, man. I and I, I was I was addicted to porn. And, um, I mean, you know, it was, it was several times a day, you know, and and I really didn't think there was a problem, you know, until I started kind of talking to people and they were like, dude, you know what that affects? And then I started researching it and I was like, oh my God. And I got off of it and not immediately, but well, almost immediately, you know, the dopamine in my brain was like, you know, like, Hey, you're not giving me that high. You're not giving me that high. You know, because I also lost satisfaction with having you know, having sex with real women. I mean, you know, because I'm not getting the pornographic sex with real women. You know, and it caused a problem. I mean mm-hmm. it did, it caused a huge problem, it caused intimacy issues, you know. It was gnarly, man. So you it's,
1: uh it's interesting that we Well let me let me ask you a question. So when you when when you stopped that, did you replace that that um loss of dopamine
0: with something else? Yeah. I did. So um when coffee. I well <laughs> holy shit, I would be jacked all day long if I drank my coffee. <laughs> I mean, I'd be freaking bouncing off the wall. I'd be running on the walls, man. <laughs> I wouldn't wear out the carpet. I'd just wear out the walls. <laughs> uh, I did. So I, I started doing uh, a little bit something different. So uh, every time I thought about it, I'd go do 10 push-ups. Hmm. You know? So I was like, hey, do 10 push-ups. Boom, 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 boom. Um, it's, like,
1: it's like the rubber band thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I don't really do a whole lot of push-ups anymore because I don't think about it now. I just do push-ups. You know, I'm not thinking about porn. Um, I'm thinking about now my mental health and my physical health. Um, it took a toll. It was it was uh, kind of crazy, actually. It it actually changed the way I started thinking, and, and um, in talked to Tony about this, and freaking my head got a lot clearer. And that's what was amazing about it. It was just like, wow, like I'm not getting that dopamine. You know, now I'm getting back to uh, a baseline, you know, a ba- Well, yeah, a baseline. Well, a new normal, right? Because, uh, you know, once you're an addict and I think once you are, uh, you know, you've been injured or something like that, you're never normal. You're never, you're never going to go back the way you were. So, you so that's, that's a good,
1: <clears throat> good point you brought up there. You're never normal. And I, I think that we need to point out that nobody is normal. Oh yeah, 100%. there is no normal. Yeah, what is normal? You're the weirdest guy I know.
0: <laughs> uh, shit,
1: I like so to keep it weird, man. You know, pe- people think that they they strive to just be the status quo, or or I just need to get right here and everything will be good. No, that's not how it works.
0: Well, that's we'll definitely. So works. we're gonna get. We're gonna do it so we'll get into it. We're gonna keep going with your story, man. And we'll do the that conversation piece after, man. Because I do want to get into this. Um so what uh so you you kick the dopamine, or you kick the dopamine. You <laughs> uh see, I'm thinking about dope, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you kicked the uh uh the opiate addiction. and then how did your so your life kind of change from that point on, right? So you kicked it, and then what after you kicked the opiate addiction, what happened?
1: But I still had all the problems that I had before, all the all the resiliency issues, uh, no way of coping, no And uh, again, this was not a I'm not blaming anyone on this, but I, I was not taught how to cope. And that's my problem, not anybody else's problem. Uh, you know I'm pretty sure the internet was around and there's lots of books that I could have read I, I and I didn't so yeah, I ended up leaving I went to uh, uh montana State University from uh, so I'm from here from San Diego went to the hall high school then I went to Montana State University with a friend I can tell you right now school is is not not for me i'm I need to be hands-on or I don't do well in a classroom. I don't do well sitting sitting around for very long. So, um, I did really good in some of the classes that I really enjoyed. Business uh, entrepreneurship was one of them, and uh, the rest of them I I don't really remember going to them all that much. But I did have a great time in Bozeman, Montana. That was that was fun. Um, made some great friends. A lot, I was I was there for a year, and, and I still talk to a lot of of the people that I was there with.
0: Um so you didn't really you didn't really enjoy college, which I Oh I enjoyed
1: college. I didn't enjoy school.
0: Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and so you went to uh so then you you dropped you, you kind of left college.
1: Yeah. I and, uh ended up going I bounced around different colleges, you know, from I went to Cal State, uh Hayward for a little bit that didn't work out and then came back to San Diego and went, went to some different schools around here. I ended up, um, I had some friends that were, or I had a really good friend that was a, a firefighter for Saquon at the time and one of the, one of the Indian reservations here in San Diego. And I said, you know, maybe that's more what I want to do because I enjoyed football. I enjoyed the physical activities and and being part of a team, right? So I was trying to figure out how to do that. And meanwhile, still never really resolving any of these issues that I had before. Um, so I joined the San Diego, San Diego County Fire Authority Reserve Program and I think it was 2000, 2008. And I worked at the Boulevard California Station as a firefighter EMT. And that's kind of when I got the taste for medicine. I I really liked the medical calls. Not so much, I really don't like the heat. I've got uh, my mini split air conditioning and my regular air conditioning on right now. So I'm not, I wasn't really about the heat or getting into a fire, but the medical stuff, I really enjoy It's It's solving a problem and you're you're able to solve a problem, see a problem, solve a problem, and see the results immediately, or not, right? And, yep. and that's a that's a big. I've I've learned that that's a big thing for me is to be able to see results quickly. Which on the flip side of that, I've had to to teach myself to be very patient.
0: So did you? But you didn't stick with that, man. You actually you left you left that industry and went to the military, right?
1: Uh,
0: so uh, that was, uh, I, I got
1: very, it, it takes a lot of work to become a firefighter. Um, you have to go to school, you have to, now you have to be a paramedic most places. And I was, while I liked it, I I didn't enjoy it that much. So yeah, I I was, was, it was summertime and, and I didn't really I wasn't going anywhere. I think I was about 21 and you know, I had already been to all the bars downtown and PB and I already already did that whole scene and I was kind of over it. So I, I said, well, I don't want to join the Navy because then I might get stationed here. I want to do the Marines because then I might get stationed here. So <laughs> join the army. My grandfather was in the army. My uncle was in the army. So
0: join the army. Yeah, kept the heritage alive, man. You know, kept the tradition alive. So you you joined the Army, man. What did you do in the Army? I picked the
1: best job for when you get out that you can transfer to a civilian job, which is a helicopter door gunner. There are so many helicopter door gunner civilian jobs in the market.
0: (laughs) Uh, I don't even know. Maybe Legoland would be about where, you know, like... You know, you, maybe operate a carnival ride. I don't even know. Like,
1: <laughs> so I, I don't. I kind of just threw myself in, and I didn't. I, I didn't know what. I had no. I had a little bit of drive, but I had no uh, path on what I wanted to do. I was very confused, and and I didn't realize that, you know, now mm-hmm. however old I am, with thirty six, that. I still don't know what I want to do. And I'm okay with that, right? But 10, 15 years ago, that scared the crap out of me. Because so my, my father worked at Cox, uh, Cox Communications for 40 years. Same job for 40 years. My older brother worked at Sport Chile um, for a very long time, probably 20 years. And I, I thought that's what you were supposed to do. And I, I I'm like, yeah, I can't do this. I, I, there's no way I can do this. So they, that's when I just threw threw all my uh, eggs in the basket and enlisted as a 15 Tango, UH-60 helicopter, uh, 60 helicopter mechanic.
0: So you went in as a mechanic, but then you, you go ahead. Then you segued into being a door gunner. How did that? How did that kind of? How'd
1: that happen? So you, when you enlist as a, the Army doesn't have a an MOS um, or, or a job specialty for a crew chief or a flight engineer. You have to actually learn how to be a mechanic on the helicopter first, and then you can get selected to be a crew chief. So sometimes it's out of necessity, like, hey, we don't have any crew chiefs. We need you, get over here. <laughs> We'll, we'll teach you. Sometimes it's out of, um, that's not how it usually happens. How it usually happens is you show some interest that, that you want to be a crew chief. Some people yeah. want to be mechanics. And because they want to get, it, they're, they're a little smarter than me. They want to <laughs> be mechanics and then get out of the army and go work on airframes you know, like Boeing or whoever and make a lot of money working on aircraft. They, they don't want to um, be the crew chief shooting the machine gun or working the hoist because there's no jobs in the civilian world or very few jobs.
0: Right. I mean, that's a cool job. That sounds like a cool job. You know, well, in, in real time, it's cool, you know, but after it's over, you're kind of like, mm, now what? You know, but what did you do? Where did you get stationed at? And the show wouldn't be made possible without our sponsors. Red, white, and badass brew. Coffee as bold as American spirit. And go, man, go productions. Your vision is our mission because we see it too.
1: So I went, so I went to, um, from here, I went to Fort Benning, Georgia. And I, I, if I never go to Georgia again, that would be great. It was it was miserable.
0: Um, the
1: humidity, the humidity, and then all of a sudden the next day it was just freezing. It was so cold. Uh, it it was nice. My my grandfather and my older brother showed up at graduation and surprised me. And so my grandfather uh, drove a tank in the Battle of the Bulge. Um, so that was that was pretty cool to have him there. Uh, it was it was a good experience. Wow. So I came home uh, for, for on leave for a little bit, then went to uh, my advanced training at Fort Use Useless, excuse me, Eustis, Virginia, and uh, that's where you. That's where we did the the mechanic stuff. Then I got sent to. So it was a weird. It was weird timing. Right at that time, there was some stuff going on with North Korea, and they we got. A bunch of people from my class had been sent to to South Korea. And right at that time, North Korea sunk a South Korean ship uh, with a torpedo from a submarine. The Chonong was the name of the ship. And it was just, it was, it was very unusual because the classes prior to us, they were getting sent out. All, all over the country, and especially to units that were getting ready to deploy to Iraq or Afghanistan. And then me and a bunch of guys are like, we're, we're go- where, where are we going? We're going to Korea? But this was like September September 11th, and we, okay, I guess we're going to Korea. <laughs> so that, that turned into a, I was there for 14,
0: 14 months. It was wow. very.
1: Very interesting time, very interesting
0: place. Yeah. What did, so what did you do in North Korea or uh, in South Korea? Or, uh,
1: well, first of all, I'm a giant in Korea. So it's, it's kind of awkward going around, you know, in a bus station or something like that. Excuse me. I'm going to pour some coffee right now.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Just don't spill it, you know, that stuff's like gold. I know. You mean the cost or the, well, that too, you know.
1: So I I went about becoming a crew chief for a different way. My platoon sergeant went out on emergency leave. The E6 stepped up to take over as a platoon sergeant. And I took him out and got him really drunk and said, hey, I want to go to Alpha Company. And the next day, my papers were in for Alpha Company. That was the VIP unit in Korea. So we flew around congressmen, senators, generals, cheerleaders, any, any of the VIPs that came to the peninsula. Um, and uh, then our secondary mission was air assault. So we, we trained for air assault while we were there as well. And then I did get to fly a little bit with the medevac unit while I was there.
0: Gotcha. Did Sue, when you were with the air assault and this VIP unit, did you kind of play some uh, war games with North Korea?
1: Yeah. So it's it's such a weird situation over there. North Korea... They they like to poke the bear was us being the bear not 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 like you and I at bears that's not what I meant <laughs> the United States being a the bear so they they run out of uh, food or whatever it is gas the, then they'll they'll fire some missiles off or, or they'll shoot across or they'll do something to get the U.S. or or South Korea's attention and then we'll give them some rice and they'll shut up for a while. So it's just this constant game going back and forth. I actually was was very lucky. We took one, a, a general had just flown in from the U.S. We picked him up at Osan Air Force Base in in Korea and flew him up to the DMZ. <laughs> when you fly up to the DMZ, you fly real low and real fast. And you get up there, you land in the DMZ. There's, there's these tank traps everywhere. Uh, it's, it's very surreal. It's very Cold War-looking uh it's it's interesting to see from from above not very many people get to see that i mean you can go on google earth and see it but not very many people get to see that in real time because there's a there's a line called the papa 518 that you you can't cross as a civilian in an aircraft only military can cross that line and once you cross that line everything is supposed to be secret um so we get up there and the The general gets out and I, you know, do the whole salute and everything. He takes off and then a guy, uh, a butter bar comes up and says, Hey, you guys want to go on the tour? We were just, I was just going to take a nap in the helicopter until they were done. And I said, you want to go on the tour with them? So we, we got to go on the tour. It was probably one of the coolest tours I've ever been on. The the most dangerous golf course in the world is uh, located at the DMZ. It's, it's a one hole golf course sitting on top of a bunker. Uh, The t box is on top of of a, not not a sand bunker, an actual bunker. (laughs) And it's surrounded on three sides by minefields. So we're standing there. So you can look across and see North Korea right, right there. So we're standing there and he's explaining it to us. And all of a sudden, this deer just starts hopping through the minefield and we're like, Oh my god! This is going to be the craziest thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) We were all so the general had already they were already past this, and so so we could act normal, right? And we, like the pilots, were were should we place bets on this? What do we do? And this deer just hops right through this minefield, just clear, does not touch one mine, goes right through the whole thing. We're like, how did that just happen? Wow! So I got a got a cool picture in front of the the most dangerous golf course in the world. We got to go to the general's mess hall and and they they had their own cook there and um it was it was the behind the behind the scenes tour of the DMZ. So one one thing we learned that was that there's something like 300 armistice violations per day at the DMZ. You, you're not allowed to bring automatic weapons. Into the DMZ area, um, not from the U.S. side, from the North Korean side. Well, okay, gotcha. Both sides aren't allowed to do that. So there's there's an agreement, right? Technically, the Korean War has never ended. Technically, the Korean War is still going on right now. There's never been anything signed ending ending the war, which is kind of unusual. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, no kidding. So, um. The behind-the-scenes tour was cool and, and explained how I think there was a, uh, I can't remember, there's, there's a museum that we got to go to while we were up there, and I can't remember if it was two two gentlemen, two soldiers, they went to go find an observation point. This was years ago, and there was a tree in the way. So they went to go cut down the tree, and uh, they were killed by North Korean soldiers, So the general at the time sent the entire army on that peninsula, Air Force, Army, everything. He sent every single person to go cut down that tree.
0: Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's a really cool story. I'm obviously paraphrasing it, but it's – it was – that's so,
0: it's and it, so we didn't retaliate though. we didn't go back, and we didn't go and you know that's sh- the so it's a it's a double-edged sword
1: because what do you do with these people who are so brainwashed that they they don't know how to so people that that defect and come to South Korea, they don't assimilate well with South Koreans and I I don't know if it's a racism thing or I'm not sure. I I watched some documentaries on it and they basically just say that they don't fit in well. They, they don't, they don't get what to do. They don't understand how society works. Right. So if, if we retaliate, if, if we say, Hey, let's just, why why don't we just get rid of this dude and that, that regime will fall apart in a half a second. what's going to happen? Half of them are going to go to China. The other half are going to try and come through the DMZ into South Korea. And then South Korea is just overloaded with refugees, basically, right? So it's a, it's, it's a difficult... Uh, I don't know how you solve that problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like an unsolvable problem. And not only that, but you take out the the leader. Somebody who's probably worse than him is going to step up.
1: Yeah, like, and, like the cartels as,
0: as usual. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna step up and and take charge. You know, and nothing really is gonna change. We can't change a country. Yeah. You know what I mean, that it's like a it's like a addict, right? We can't change them. They have to change within themselves.
1: Yeah, if they change internally, then that that might be that's probably the only way that they would ever change
0: but you play cat and mouse with north korea a lot right like we would we kind of entice them to like hey do something to us come on poke the bear they were poking the bear we were poking the bear like come on let's let's get something going here so we we didn't you know we
1: don't necessarily just sit back and and, and watch them play these stupid games right we would fly up into these corridors um and there's observation posts and we would resupply them and we fly in these corridors and they they know where they're we so we have these the They have SAM missiles um, somehow. They also have Little Bird helicopters, which are made in the United States. So, yeah.
0: Uh, Got me there. North Korea has Little Bird helicopters.
1: Mm -hmm. Hmm. We had to do a, we had to take a vehicle identification class and it showed us all the different vehicles they had, which were very similar to some of the older vehicles that the United States military had back in the day. But, yeah, so they have little bird helicopters, and um, they, what was the other thing that I said before that?
0: The similar cars before that. And oh,
1: the so SAM the, the missiles. So yeah, we fly missiles. up in these corridors, and you, 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 you missile, walk, missile, walk. So there could be some 12-year-old kid down there. All he's got to do is push a button. We're gone.
0: Wow. So you're flying around, and your bird is telling you, like, hey, they got a lock on you. Get the fuck out.
1: So there's a, there's a couple, to answer the question, yes, and there's a couple, but at the same time, we don't know if that's South Korean, um, because we're, we're in between both of them, right? So we're yeah. flying in the middle of South, and we're not necessarily in the DMZ, we're right up alongside it. So it could be a South Korean, some sort of missile that they have that's logging on to us, some kind of missile's locking on to us, and... Um, it it's weird because the there's a noise in my car when I get in my truck, when I, if you get too close to somebody when you're driving on the freeway or something, or you slam on the brakes, it makes the same exact beeping noise and drives me insane.
0: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm first sure. That, I, I'm sure that's what
1: matter First time I did, it scared the crap out of me, but, um, <laughs> so we'd fly around up there and there was, there was one point where we were flying, uh, and these are just regular training training missions. The language for uh, for aviation across the world is English, but when you're in other people's countries, it's not necessarily the case. So some people don't like to talk on the radio. Some some people do. If we see another aircraft, we try to call them and say, "Hey, you know, we're over here. Just make sure you see us." And some of the sometimes South Koreans would, would reply, sometimes they wouldn't. But we were flying in the out of one of the corridors one time, and um all of a sudden the, the pilot as as we're turning around to come back, a pilot notices a, a little bird coming from the north side of the DMZ, which was North Korea. We, we had no other way to to discern where that had come from. So he turned in a way that I could see it, so I could. So I'm hanging out on the side of the helicopter, watching it, trying to watch it. And we're he, you know, we're flying nap of the earth, which means you're flying right above rooftops, treetops, and and up that far towards the DMZ, it's it's little. You know, we're not talking about skyscrapers or anything. We're talking about like uh, little huts and and there are people are living in farms, rice paddies, that kind of stuff. We're flying. Real low, real fast, and I'm trying to watch this little bird, and he's trying to keep the aircraft so I can see it. So we're trying. There's a lot of crew coordination going on, and in crew coordination is very difficult. Once you are in a, uh, take a little bit of a segue here, because we'll go into my go into relationships later, probably. So. When you're in, in stressful situations and you have that level of of crew coordination, it can it can be detrimental to your your relationships once you get out of the military. And we can talk about that later, but just remind me. <laughs> so I'm telling him how to position the helicopter so I can see it. He's just trying to get the hell out of there. There's some code words that we use, uh if you're up there and something goes wrong, we're we're at the point where should we say something? Should we say it? Because if you use that code word, the Air Force, all hell is gonna break loose. The Air Force comes through with the A tens and shit's gonna hit the fan. And you're gonna be in a very long briefing if you use that code word in at the wrong time. But again, you don't wanna die. So uh we end up Flying, and it, I, I don't even know how long that went on for. We did go back, uh, so so we broke up, we it finally broke off and went back north, and we just hauled ass back down south. We don't know if it was a South Korean helicopter or North Korean helicopter. We don't know what it was. Um, it could have been just a South Korean helicopter screwing with us and training and not talking to us on the radio, or it could have been a North Korean helicopter. it was it was a very it's a real experience to be chased by another helicopter.
0: <laughs> and also obviously, little birds have weapons. Yes, uh, they can. Yeah, they can. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be, you know, deadly. it's not just a helicopter flying around, you know, uh, with nothing on it. It's got payloads. It's got weapons.
1: And it, no, and it wasn't just, just like, hey, we're behind you for a little bit. It was, they were behind us for a lot of it, and we were going real fast.
0: Yeah. I mean, shit, I'd be nervous. You know, first time I was in a helicopter, they shot the flares off. Man, my ass cheeks clenched up so damn tight. (laughs) You know, I was with uh, a bunch of seals and literally I was sitting between the dude's legs (laughs) and uh, we were packed in tight. Um, And we had an interpreter that was strung across us. He was laying across us. It, it, it was it was a <laughs> fucked up mess, man. And so we're sitting there, and I all of a sudden they shoot flares, man. And I'm like, oh god, this is how I'm gonna die. And I clench up, and this fucking seal behind me. I say whisper in my ear, but you're not whispering in a helicopter. No, no. <clears throat> he, he goes, can you do that again? <laughs> 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 and I was like, oh my god. I was <laughs> like, that is. That's too much, man. I'm like, you know, I'm over here trying to act like a hard-ass, you know, because I don't... And I've never been, you know, with these guys before, so I don't know these guys. My first time with them, and I fucking jump at flares, man. Yeah, and I have no idea why they shot the flares off.
1: Well, sometimes they randomly
0: go off. <laughs> <laughs> I, this could have been... Around, and we were flying low, man. We were going into a compound. So we were going into a compound in the middle of Afghanistan. Oh, and
1: maybe it's like, hey, hey... uh We want you to know we're here. Or sometimes, because the button's right there, sometimes you can bump into the
0: button. (laughs) It's probably interpreter, just like, oh, shiny things. (laughs) Oh, man. It was funny. When we landed, these guys were talking, you know, and they know each other. And I'm over here like, what are they doing? And I was like, oh, I get the gist. So they were talking, and they opened the door up and flung the interpreter out. I mean, just tossed him out like a ragdoll. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, that is funny. He hits the ground. He's kind of like, uh, like what the hell's going on? You know, <laughs> I'd follow suit, jump out with him. Uh, you know, and the guy's just still in the ground going like, uh, what do I even do? <laughs> you know, <it> was, <laughs> it, yeah. Well, there was no talking at that moment. Uh, but man, they had us dialed in though. We landed and about two minutes later, they shot, uh, I think a mortar RPG. In that general direction, you know, they had us locked in pretty good. I was like, "Oh my god," uh, that was my first taste of combat. You know, I was like, "Yep, I'm gonna die." <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> you know? they uh, they say
1: well, in, in Vietnam, uh, the helicopter pilot and crew chief's life, lifespan were not very long. But they say if you if you do 20 years as a crew chief or or a um, helicopter pilot, you, you're it's you'll be in an accident at some point.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure they would. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Uh, but after that time, I loved flying in helos. So you got so you got medically retired, right? Out of the uh, got, like medically separated.
1: Yes, yeah, medically separated. yeah.
0: You know, because you had. I mean, military is hard on the body, and so you had some issues. So they medically separated you. And when you did that, when you got medically separated, how did uh, what did you do after that? So
1: I actually had, so when I when I got out I was I was medically separated from my back I had um, um, three bulging discs and you can't you can't fly you, you lose, lose your flight status at that point so I the military definitely helped me gain a lot of resiliency so at that point I was I had way more than before but I was still... Now, now I'm older. I, I'm older. I have no degree. I can shoot a machine gun out of a helicopter. And that's about it. So I, I called a buddy who was up in North Dakota and <clears throat> said, Hey, I'm, I'm getting out. Can I, you know, any, you have any jobs up there? He was working in the oil fields, in the Bakken oil fields. And yeah, come on up. We'll get you a job. And so I, I got out of the Army in January and didn't look at the weather in North Dakota in January. I suggest if you ever go to North Dakota, don't go in January. It was miserable.
0: Yeah, because it's snowing and it's full-fledged winter? It was
1: minus 42 when I showed up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: that's, that's not no bueno. So, so I worked in the oil fields for a while, I don't know, another probably six or eight months. Yeah, this isn't this this isn't what I want to do. But at that point, I didn't. I you know, I just needed some money. I was getting out. I had no idea what I wanted to do. The the GI Bill is is huge. Uh, I think everybody should use it, whether or not trade school or or regular school. But. I ended up going back since I was in North Dakota, I went back to Montana state. <laughs> so at that point I uh, was a little bit older and I again changed majors like four times. Still had no idea what I wanted to do. I was working as a bouncer, living above the bar, drinking a lot, very confused. And um, I Again, I, I was at a point where I was kind of lost. Uh, uh, you know, where where I I'm getting older. All my friends around me have now graduated. All my friends that I went to school with, you know, high school with, have now graduated, and I've I've got what What am I doing? I live downtown. I'm drinking every day, and I just keep. It seems like I just keep running away from these these problems instead of hitting them head on.
0: So, what did you do? How'd you head on the problems?
1: Um, I, I think I finished out the year there at school and I wanted to get into, I, I liked the flying stuff, but then I, I remembered that from before that I enjoyed the medical stuff and I, my EMT had lapsed, so I went and got my EMT again. And then I said, you know what, I'm gonna, let me move back to San Diego, run, run away from my problems again. And uh, let's see what I can figure out when I get there. And when I got when I got back here, it, it was just a mess. Uh, it, it made made me even more depressed. My friends were even further. Some were even going to some were going to law school and and things like that. And and then I had some toxic friends who weren't you know helping me go, go anywhere, or get anywhere. And that, that goes back to the, the saying, you know, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Yeah. Sure. And if I'm ever in a room and I'm the smartest person in the room, then there's a lot of dumb people in that room. So.
0: <laughs> what? I, so you went, uh, so you went back. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, I moved back, back to San Diego and then I, um, I was just trying to find a job. It was it was pretty hard to find. I had I had no skills, yeah. so uh, the one skill I have is sales, and I didn't really know how to exploit that at the time. I've, I've always been good at talking to people, so I went on Craigslist. and I was going all these job you know all these job websites. Finally, find this job for credit card processing sales on Craigslist, which is it's just cutthroat. Um, and I, I go to Arizona, get some training, train in the call center a little bit just so we could see what it was like. And then and then I would go on these these calls. Uh, it was like three to five, uh, three to five a day. I'd go to like your business and say, hey,
0: yeah,
1: uh, how's your credit card process? You know, you get the calls just like I do, right? Sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, I can lower your rate. I'm not lowering your rate. It's, just, it's all BS, right? And I started to feel bad because I was locking these people into locking small businesses into long-term contracts that were screwing them over. And this, this is, this is not for me. So I, I was, at the time I was living in, my friend had bought a house and I, he was remodeling it and I was living on a mattress in his kitchen and getting, you know, dressed up to go to these calls to look like a professional business person or, person and then coming back and living in a mattress and then in the kitchen. And then finally they, they started to move in. So I had to move out. So then I would go on, I was on Tinder and, and other things, just going from place to place, trying to find a place to to sleep for a while.
0: Wait, so you, you would hook up with these women and you're just using them for a place to sleep. Like, well, Oh, I have, I have to stay here for a while. Like, I have, two,
1: I have two daughters. So I would not hook up with any women.
0: Oh geez. yeah, wink, wink, nod, nod.
1: <laughs> I would make friends with them
0: via the yeah. internet. Yeah, yeah, just short-term roommates with benefits. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: uh, so, yeah,
0: and, and, I mean,
1: it was. I was trying to find someone to to date at the same time, so it was mutually beneficial for me. I guess you could say. Um. <laughs> And I'm like, this is not any way to live. So I remember just being out of money. I I just got in a car accident, um, and everything was it, it was just every I felt all this weight was was on top of me, right? And then respiratory. I said, I just need to get my I just need to start school. So respiratory school started on Monday. I signed up, it was like a Thursday I signed up and um to become a respiratory therapist, went through school and didn't didn't really like it too much the first years mostly in class and then and then they sent me out to the hospital. Once I got to the hospital, I'm like, man, this is this is something that I could do.
0: I yeah, actually so you enjoyed. found a passion, you found something that you really enjoyed as a respiratory therapist. It, it wasn't necessarily the job, it was the Helping
1: people and seeing the immediate result, right? Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an immediate result kind of guy, which, which is
0: difficult, but I'm working on it. <laughs> Work in progress. Yeah. So you, so, so you went to respiratory therapist school, you went through that. And how was it being a respiratory therapist? <clears throat> the respiratory
1: therapist is kind of like the redhead stepchild of the hospital. Um, you, they don't really make very much money for the hospital. They're kind of a, you're kind of a, the way I explain it is you're the paramedic of the hospital. When shit hits the fan, they call the RT because when somebody's not breathing, that's a problem. So they call the respiratory therapist. Uh, I worked at Sharp Grossmont and then I worked to, went over to the trauma center at UCSD. And Sharp Grossmont was, I, I learned more there than I probably have in my entire life. There was one respiratory therapist in the emergency department, and <clears throat> I kind of positioned myself in a place. Nobody liked to do the, nobody liked to work in the ER because it was so busy, and it required work. Weird, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I loved it because a 12 and a half hour shift, I'm, I'm done, I'm home, and then I just pass out. I, I can, so I get that adrenaline rush that I got from the helicopter, we'd have some nights multiple codes um, a night coming in and I'm there working with the physicians. I'm at the head of the bed. I get to see everything and and I'm a little I was a little bit older than you know a lot of the nurses had just graduated school. And I had been through the military. So now these things that I had done before are starting to become positives instead of I started looking at them as positives instead of negatives before it was, I'm just some dumb military guy that with no education. And now it's, no.
0: I, I've seen some shit. I've done some shit. If you have a heroic story and you'd like to share it, get in contact with us. Our information's in the bio. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and share. And then I'll see you on the next episode, badasses.